On paper, your life should be free of worries. We are living in the richest, safest, and healthiest time period ever. You are listening to this podcast, so I can assume you were born in a developed country with access to internet. You are likely to have a degree, a job that pays well, and some social security. So as far as societal measurements of success go, you are right on track. But more and more, you get this feeling that there's something missing. Is this really it? There has to be more to life than this, right? You start comparing yourself to other people, and they seem to have figured it all out. They earn more money, they travel the world, they are in a happy relationship and getting married. Why are they succeeding at this game of life? You took every step you were supposed to take, and yet you feel miserable. You are unsatisfied with the person you have become. I'm sure you will recognize some of these feelings. And I'm sorry if I was too confronting right off the bat. I just wanted to set the mood right for this podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'd like to welcome you to Fresh Saga. I built Fresh Saga to help people with their personal development. In this very first podcast, I would like to talk about the anxieties and uncertainties that millennials are facing. Can we speak of a so-called quarter-life crisis? Where does this term come from? And is there evidence to support its existence? And why is it that our generation is dealing with these existential questions? So this quarter-life crisis, what is it? It is a crisis you may experience in which you feel anxiety over the direction and quality of your life. It is a period of doubts about your career, relationships, financial situation, basically all important life choices. This period is commonly experienced somewhere in your 20s or early 30s. You can compare it to a midlife crisis, only to happen 20 years earlier. During this phase of life, we are presented with a lot of firsts. Your first serious relationship, your first real job, your first apartment. We are exposed to the real world, no longer sheltered beneath the wings of our nurturing parents. You need to get your life in order ASAP, because you have to pay rent, you have to repay your student debt, you need to become financially independent. We've received so many new responsibilities, and we have so many new choices to make. We haven't fully figured out who we are yet, but yet there's this urgency to make decisions. Later on I will discuss more of the symptoms and the circumstances in which a quarter-life crisis occurs. But first, where does this term come from? The term quarter-life crisis was invented by Elliot Jacques in 1965. In the same paper, he coined the term midlife crisis for the very first time. But unlike midlife crisis, the term quarter-life crisis wasn't immediately popularized. It wasn't until 2001 that the phenomenon gained more attention, after American authors Robinson and Wilner wrote their bestseller called Quarter-Life Crisis. The book is a collection of interviews with 20-somethings and tries to define the problem they are facing. Ever since, the quarter-life crisis phenomenon has reached more attention in a few research papers 
a few articles and also relatable BuzzFeed quizzes. So is this quality life crisis a real thing? Well, to be honest, I don't know really. When I first heard of the term quality life crisis, I wasn't immediately convinced of its existence. I started to use the term mockingly, to ridicule those people who couldn't stop complaining about their first world problems. But looking back at the past few years, I have to admit that many people from my generation seem to go through an existential crisis to some degree. And when I discuss the topic with friends and strangers, almost everyone seems to recognize the aspects that I mentioned before. But the funny thing is that no person over 40 years old that I spoke to had even heard of the term. When I explain to them what it is and how it affects us, millennials, they see it as one of our luxury problems. They do not remember having similar thoughts when they were our age. They respond to our attitudes with platitudes, like, Back then we just got to work. We didn't have time to complain. I started digging for empirical evidence, but due to its recent popularization, the whole concept of a quarter-life crisis hasn't received a lot of attention in research, certainly less than, for example, a midlife crisis. I found an interesting study from 2011, conducted by Rossi and Mebert. Their goal was to find signs of a quarter-life crisis among students that had recently graduated. They asked four groups of young adults to fill in self-assessments. The groups consisted of recent high school and college graduates who were working, and undergraduates and graduate students. The assessment consisted of questions on identity development, future time perspective, social support, coping, depression, anxiety, job satisfaction, life satisfaction. They found no support for the existence of a quarter life crisis when they compared these four groups. And you can be critical of the term quarter life crisis itself as well. The crisis is most commonly experienced in the period when someone is between 25 and the beginning of their 30s. Given our life expectancies, especially when you think that the term was invented in the 60s, a third life crisis would be more accurate. But according to its inventor Jacques, a quarter life crisis simply sounded better. The empirical evidence for a quarter life crisis is simply lacking, so it's hard to say whether it really exists. Nonetheless, the term gained a lot of attention in popular media and the subject seems to resonate with our generation. Many people feel it exists. If we zoom out a little bit and look at all the stages in life, we can see more existential crises. Let's see where a quarter life crisis would fit in. Eric Erickson is a psychoanalyst and a psychologist. He's known for his theories on the psychosocial development of humans and the identity crisis we go through along the way. He states that an individual passes through eight stages from infancy to late adulthood. Each of these stages is characterized by a crisis between two conflicting forces. You can look up all the eight stages by yourself, but I just want to highlight two of them. We have the adolescence phase that is commonly between 13 and 90 years old, and the early adulthood which is commonly between 20 and 39 years old. In the adolescence phase, we are likely to have a crisis between our identity and role confusion. 
think of questions like, "Who am I? Who can I be?" In the early adulthood phase, the crisis is between intimacy and isolation. Am I able to love? If we purely look at age, we would expect that the quarter-life crisis would occur during the early adulthood phase. And yes, for many, the questions revolve around intimacy and long-term commitments to other people. Like, are you willing to make the sacrifices in a relationship or even marriage? These are very valid questions, but I think that a quarter-life crisis is more about identity instead. So it seems to me that our definition of a quarter-life crisis has a better fit with the identity versus role confusion crisis that happens in the adolescence phase. The identity crisis that some millennials have is more about who they want to become and whether their current path will take them there. How are we able to develop successful intimate relationships if we do not even have a strong sense of who we are ourselves? Not everyone will find answers to these questions at the same time. For those still pondering on who they want to become, the dilemma of intimacy versus isolation may come at a later age. And in our generation, we can see signs of that. We stay single for longer. We marry at a later age. The average age that people got married in the U.S. used to be 20 in the 50s and 60s, but this grew to 27 in 2017. And overall, our life expectancies are increasing. So maybe it's just a logical reaction that we are stretching some phases. And if we look at it this way. Is a quarter-life crisis nothing more than prolonged puberty? I notice that a lot of people struggle with the transition from being a student to working life. During our studies, we always had one end goal in mind: obtaining a degree. And we never felt alone, because there were thousands of students who were in the same boat. But once you graduate, You have to find a new boat. You must make new choices from an almost unlimited set of possibilities. The struggle that is caused by this transition can express itself in a couple of ways, even before starting a job. You may have doubts whether you have chosen the right study in the first place, feeling that you are not good enough to find a job, or you might have nostalgic memories about your time as a student. I might even consider going back to study just because of the feeling that it gives you. And when you do find a job, you might find out the following: you might feel that your degree didn't prepare you well enough for your job, or the workload at your job is way higher than your studies, or you may be unhappy with the tasks that you have to carry out, and that your contribution to the company is not substantial. These frustrations may go away after a while as you settled into the new job and regain more confidence, but this is not the case for everyone. Some will feel excessive and constant stress. They feel overwhelmed by the transition to work and life. There's too much pressure, too many demands, and when this goes on for a while, you may start to display burnout symptoms. And a typical day may look like this: the alarm goes off. You don't want to wake up. You feel exhausted, and you don't have the energy to care about work. Some days you even feel physical pain, like your body is rejecting whatever you're about to do. You know that you'll spend the majority of your day on mind-numbing tasks, 
That's why you feel disengaged when you're at work. But at the same time, the financial burden of rent and student debt still lingers. So you still go to work because you grasp on to the financial security that the job offers you. But when you are there, you feel trapped in a demanding, yet very uninspiring job. You have zero motivation, you become cynical and withdraw yourself from your responsibilities. You feel empty. Let me go over some aspects of this transition from being a student to working life. As I said, as a student, no matter how much time you spend fooling around with friends, going to parties, sleeping in afterwards, you are always on path to the end goal, obtaining a degree. But as soon as you graduate, that goal is completed. You now have to choose a career path, which is way more than just a job. Your career partly defines your identity. And of course, our studies already gradually transitions from general to more specific courses. We no longer had elementary courses like math or geography, but we got to pick which set of courses we want to follow. Whatever you pick, decide which part of the knowledge tree you will climb. And while some people know what they want to become at the age of 18, many do not. And I feel that we are not adequately prepared during our studies how to make these kind of life choices on our own. Some are not even sure if the study is right for them, even after studying five years, let alone that they are ready for the transition to work in life. Many start to crave for certainty and decide to take on a job, like almost everyone else is doing. You have this feeling that you have to prove yourself during your first years of employment. You want to show strength and build a respectable resume. You want to show that you're capable of doing this and you don't want to let your employer down. So at work, you're eager to put in even more hours than the 40 you get paid for. And I think that many people underestimate the pressure and stress that comes with starting a new job, particularly if it's your first job. And I think that's why we see so many burnout symptoms among millennials nowadays, even within the first year on their job. It begins to take a toll on their personal life as well. They feel drained of both physical and emotional energy for doing fun activities. The job is demanding and there's very little time to plan the things they actually want to do. So you see your best friends last, you get out of touch with many more. And once you do speak with a friend, the conversation often turns into a rant about everything that's wrong with your job. At this point, anxiety on the direction of your life comes in. We either confront this identity crisis or you find ways to escape it. Some will try to hold on to their student lifestyle. Some will start reevaluating friendship and cut people from their lives, basically putting themselves in isolation. Some take a gap year and fly to Thailand to find themselves. Talk about a flight reaction. We don't even need to travel though. We have drugs that can take our mind off too. And even without drugs, there are plenty of addictions to develop. Those feelings of isolation can also be fought with binge-watching Netflix every single weekday. But hey, everyone around me seems to fight their way through it, so maybe it's just a phase I have to get through, right? So to get some distraction from all the questions you pose upon yourself, you grab your phone and scroll through Instagram stories. You tap into an endless stream of other people's highlights. Every new post seems to be the happiest day of their life. Surely they are not dealing with the same kind of self-doubt and anxieties. And now I start to panic. Why is it that everyone has their shit together? 
except me. Technology made it possible to compare yourself with others instantly and get a small glimpse of people outside of your direct environment. This only increases our expectations as we project other people's life path on ours. And we don't want to share our worst days, or even the average ones, so we paint a distorted image, a surrealist version of our lives. We don't see on social media how many people deal with the same anxieties. We rather post about our workout than our burnout. But no worries, certainly not everyone has their shit together. To some, making life decisions comes more easily, some are better at dealing with the anxieties, or some are simply better at pretending that their lives are perfect. And people who have made their decision will generally search for confirmation. They want to hear that the direction they chose is the right one, and they encourage others to follow, no matter how damaging and unfulfilling that life choice is. And maybe the way we were raised plays a part as well. We were raised by a generation that puts less emphasis on traditional family values. Parents exert less power in the career choices of their children. We are encouraged to express ourselves freely. And new technology offers countless opportunities, more than our parents could ever dream of. We have fewer family-owned businesses and boys and girls can become whatever they want. The sky is the limit if you can break through the glass ceiling. We can choose. We have a choice. And we want to feel in control of all the choices that we make. We want to choose what we like to do and be good at it. But we also feel responsible for the not so good choices. So it's only natural that we encounter setbacks. But should we immediately call this a crisis? Maybe our generation just lacks a sense of reality. Can we really expect that our pursuit of a perfect life will be completed at 30? Should we really call it a crisis? Or is it actually a positive thing to reevaluate your life? Thank you for listening to this very first podcast. I see this recording as the beginning of Fresh Saga. The beginning of helping other people with their identity crises, their personal development, and making the most out of their lives. I truly believe that we can create a community in which we can help each other, turning this game of life into a multiplayer game. I would love to hear your feedback on this podcast. In the next podcast, I would like to invite people on and have a conversation. So please reach out to me if you or someone you know wants to share something. That's it for now. I wish you a wonderful day.